Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Hello, welcome to Trending. It's Brooke Taylor here in for Timory. Happy to be with you. And what I hope will be a fantastic show. And of course, the Rosary Across America with Father Rocky. An hour from now, producer Jim Shaper is here. Miranda Sinisneros on the phones. And Mary Graham, of course, with the news, excellent as always, and two terrific guests joining us over the next hour. Father Jeffrey Kirby has a brand new book out. He's going to take us inside the pages into the history of the papacy and the curated wisdom of the ages. Really fascinating. It's part history, part devotional, part, I think, apologetics as well. Who, in part hagiography too. Who are the popes that stand out? Who are the popes who addressed major issues and gave us some of the most powerful writings and teachings over the century? Really fascinating new work. And I think we'll have, I hope, uh, opportunity to open the phones too. Is there a Pope that changed your life? Of course, we have had some bad Popes. That's the reality. Father Kirby talks about this is our family history. And like with all families, we we put the fun in dysfunction. So we'll talk about that too. But more than anything, the beautiful heroism and virtue of the Popes throughout the ages. And, and Father Kirby is a moral theologian, papal missionary. He's a professor at uh, Belmont Abbey as well. So looking forward to catching up with him. And Emily Malloy is also with us. She is the food and floral design editor at theologyofhome.com. Her latest book is from that series, Theology of Home 4, Arranging the Seasons. And I'm really grateful for this because of the timing, because of Advent. As we light the first purple candle on the Advent wreath, we start fresh this new church year. And I think we really need these opportunities to stop and collect ourselves, to see beauty, to fall in love with the source of all beauty, the author of all beauty, and that is our Lord, and prepare our hearts for what gifts He's already given us, what what gifts He gives us still. And just as a primer, kind of a primer, I was looking, and I feel like I need to do this every year. I should know this. I do, and then I forget, and I need that reminder. What do the, the candles symbolize every week? The first week is hope. And the second candle that we light, that purple Advent candle, is love. And then the third candle, the Gaudete Sunday candle, which is the rose colored, that literally means rejoice. That's the candle of joy. And then that fourth Advent candle is peace. But that first one is hope. And I mean, we could spend hours just meditating on that, the virtue of hope, the prophecy candle, the fulfillment of what was foretold. But also on a contemporary level, I do think it's interesting to point out that you hear this phrase, we have a crisis of hope, which is why I think this time of preparation is so critical to remember hope, to choose hope. What is hope? It's the belief that something better is coming. So, and I think, again, this is key because if you struggle with anxiety or it feels like even if it isn't us, it's someone that we know. It's key because of how many people are in an almost constant state of flight or fight. When, when you're so deeply stressed out, 
all the time with worry, anxiety. It's actually very hard to grow spiritually. But it's only when you feel like you can relax and trust that everything is going to be okay, that virtue of hope, then that relates back to being able to have the belief that something better is coming, let our guard down, know that God is in control, surrender the stress. So I think that's a great lesson for us as we begin this new liturgical year, this season. And I always tell my kids, it's just like a muscle. The more you use hope, the more that we make even an act of hope, just that prayer, even when you don't feel it, the more you will get stronger in living in that virtue and the busyness and the noisiness. This is such a beautiful time to be reminded of that. And part of that is beauty, truth, beauty, and goodness go together. Pope Benedict XVI says he, this is a famous quote often I've shared here in this topic is calling truth, the beauty being struck by the arrow of beauty that wounds man being touched by the reality of the personal presence of Christ himself so that we trace that arrow back to the source And of course, we find our blessed Lord. And my first guest knows a thing or two about that, Emily Malloy, and her work has appeared in El Decor, National Catholic Register, among others. And she is the food and floral design editor at TheologyofHome.com and also behind this new book that we're going to explore today, Theology of the Home for Arranging the Seasons. Happy to welcome her to Trending Now. Hi, Emily. Welcome to the show. Oh, it's a joy to be here with you. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank you for your book. It could, I guess we could start there. Tell us about this installment, the volume four version of Theology of Home. Yeah, so it's a really a joy to just be here and to speak with you all about this book. So um, similar to the other Theology of Home series, if any of your listeners are familiar with it, um, is it's a coffee table book, but there's also a lot of deep, re- rich um, um, philosophy contained within those pages. So in this book, it is a journey through the year in the garden and taking a look at the different seasons and what is happening in the landscape and in nature and sort of really taking it and reflecting how that relates to our interior lives. Yeah, I'm thinking of anyone who might be listening that isn't naturally plugged into like gardening or floral arrangements or decor, but yet there is a lesson that's universal for all of us at all times. So maybe we can, you know, touch on that point as well. Why is this so important and particularly to the Advent season that we are approaching? Absolutely. I think it's taking notice that so often we are changed by nature, right? Whether we are in a garden, you know, even if we don't participate in creating our own garden or planting, a lot of times people will um, find enjoyment in nature or going to a botanical garden. Um, I grew up around the corner from a famous botanical garden, Longwood Gardens, which people flock to um, in Pennsylvania. And Mm -hmm. so you just think of how many people are still so drawn to nature, to the garden, um, even if they don't necessarily, um, in particular, see themselves as having a green thumb. Um, but I think there is a certain reality that comes from being in nature. And even, you know, our uh, secular people go into nature to recharge, right? Really about this. And when you, you know, take it in, in the context of salvation history, and you recognize that our beginnings are in the garden, right? You know, and um, there, we were meant to reside in the garden with our Lord. So I think there is just this deep-seated love and desire for this naturally created beauty that the Lord made for us. And, um, and particularly as you had mentioned with all of these different, um, 
themes coming to us in Advent, right? Um, as we meditate upon them, when we light the different candles, so much you get that in the different seasons in nature. You know, you you have this hope, this uh, that you see with the different changes in each season. Yeah, I love that. And we need that because it slows us down. It helps us to focus on the little way, the little things, the miracle of how the the seasons, the animals, the flora and fauna, everything is, I mean, it's really remarkable when you study everything from the cosmos down to the bottom Mm -hmm. of the sea, how it all works together. And when you work on that micro level, I'm sure you're blown away by that also. And of course, in the winter, depending on where you are, it, it, it might not be so floral outside so but there is still great beauty so how can we start there in our homes especially i'll say for someone maybe who's on a budget or doesn't necessarily have the gift of design maybe someone that lives alone um what is a prudent way to begin to decorate liturgically and beautifully in a way that will help foster a deeper intimacy with the author of the beauty well i think you know one of the things that is so remarkable i think you know the more I just kind of steep myself in this naturally created beauty. The more I just realize what, what an extraordinary father we have, right? Everything is a gift and everything is so beautiful and so simple that all that we have to do is just bring it into our homes and it does all of the work, right? You think of, you know, the different poinsettia sales that churches will have and you bring it in your home and you don't have to do anything. I mean, you give it water, right? <laughs> but you don't have to do anything. You just place it on your mantle or you have it on a table and you're just totally beguiled by this beauty. And and there's so little that you have to do. I think we get so caught up in this rat race of, of doing and of design and, and it doesn't need to be that way. I think there is nothing more beautiful than just going into your backyard and cutting some greens. You know, I think most people have for the most part, some form of evergreens, you know, in the general vicinity. So it can be like boxwood or pine or goodness, there's, uh, you know, a whole host of things, magnolias, and you just cut them and you bring them in and it's just, you put them on your table with some candles and, you know, that changes everything. Or, you know, you make your own advent wreath, you know, and you go and you go outside and you cut it and you, you tie it together and that costs very little. <laughs> and there's just so much that you can do popcorn garlands. When you think of at least my childhood, so many beautiful nostalgic memories of popping popcorn and getting a thread and needle and, you know, making a garland out of that to hang on a tree or on the wall um, with cranberries, decorating with dried oranges and fruit. There's just so much that you can do. Salt dough ornaments, cinnamon, apple cinnamon, applesauce cinnamon ornaments. There's, it's, there's no, nothing cost prohibitive in sort of ordaining our homes in preparation for our Lord. And I think, um, and that does something to our interior life, as you said, it all, it slows us down when we have these encounters with beauty. And there's, you know, of course, in the culture, you're, we're bombarded with, you need this thing and that thing and this twinkle and, you know, pay money for this thing. And it doesn't have to be that complicated. And so often when we accumulate all these things, it becomes a burden. And I think Advent is such, um, a great opportunity for us to just pare down, you know, mimicking the landscape, right? Mimicking the church, right? Everything is so pared down, um, you know, during the Advent season, you know, in this, in this theme of expectant waiting, you know, and it doesn't need to be, um, you know, almost like a, an elf came in and bombed your house. <laughs> um, I think, you know, <laughs> simple is, is a gift. And, and to just break from these different attachments that we think that things need to look a certain way, 
Um, and when we break from these attachments, we're, we're making room for, for the Christ child, and that's such a gift. Yeah, and boy, there's so much to what you said there. And I think that it's important to not focus, again, like you're saying, on the externals or the just the basic material ascetic of it, but that it goes deeper. And again, going back to Pope Benedict XVI and what he said about beauty, you know, he loved Mozart mm-hmm. and obviously mm-hmm. he was one of the greatest scholars and minds, but mm-hmm. just to that beauty, there's something about beauty that touches on both the the pleasure and the pain of of Cal- the darkness of Calvary, but the light of the mm-hmm. resurrection it, when Absolutely. it's true. And I don't mean to be overstating that because when you're no. looking at the natural world, that is the reality of it. Right. And that's why these things do matter. It's not just about how I'm going to arrange flowers, but the small things in attending well, because as we mm-hmm. talked about the anxiety and the stress and the virtue of hope, these small things, these little ways are actually beautiful spiritual practices of contemplation and Absolutely. just, a quick example using my daughter she's severely autistic she's 13 mm-hmm. and she of course i mean every season she loves but she mm-hmm. carries around this <laughs> this it sounds very goofy but you know if you if you live in that world or understand you'll just nod and kind of laugh but she has this little garbage can this plastic garbage can that she carries around with her everywhere now she's mm-hmm. 13 so i'm thankful that no. it's not a designer purse you know that she cares about <laughs> or something but in that she puts these little treasures that she finds mm-hmm. and finds such delight and you know i love that because she attends well to these little things it's not about um a status it's not about Mm -hmm. anything other than the beauty she sees in that thing that she's giving her attention to at that moment Mm -hmm. and i think that these are opportunities to be an apprentice to beauty because Mm -hmm. they're i mean whether it's the physical beauty the the art and the architecture or um in, in obviously the greatest work of beauty is the human person to yeah. be able to see that in the other. Um, I really think your book does this because yes, you offer these practical things you're suggesting, but you also have great um, philosophy quotes and theology quotes. So maybe you can take us into that as well. Absolutely. I think you have just touched upon so many important things. And I think the one thing that is most important that is lacking in our culture today is the exterior is important, right? Beauty is so important, but it needs to be, um, it, it should be dependent upon an interior disposition, right? So I think it's so important that what you do on that exterior really reflects what's going on on the interior, mm-hmm. right? So you design, you, you know, you want to decorate your home. Well, it should be Something, you know, when people think of doing home altars or prayer walls or, you know, different little things, like it should be a reflection of your interior disposition, right? What are your devotions and what will foster that? And I think really the Advent season needs to to sort of reflect that, right? And I think, you know, that that example of your daughter is just so perfect and beautiful because it is a reflection of that interior disposition, right? And so your home, especially during Advent, I'm a big advocate and it's completely unpopular. And I know that, but I'm a big advocate of just holding off and waiting as long as you can to just totally make your house, um, you know, a thing of cheer, you know, but do these small things where it, it is a reflection and gives that feeling of expectant waiting, right? Of, of that watching and longing for the coming of the Lord, you know, the empty crash and the Advent wreath. And, you know, I love this, this, prayerful mentality of gestating with our lady. And, uh, and I think the La Posada statues are just a really great 
um, visual for for that. You know, the um, it's for those unfamiliar, it's usually um, depicted as Saint Joseph walking with a donkey and Our Lady, um, very expectant, <laughs> sitting on it and traveling. And I think that's just a, another beautiful thing in the home. And so throughout the course of the book, it's you know, of, of course, during Advent or during the month of December, I really am an advocate for um, just dating with Our Lady and just being present to that moment of waiting and expectant waiting. And and I give, you know, some personal anecdotes of my own experience of not waiting in Advent of just, you know, Gene Autrying and Andy Williams through the wazoo and all the red and green everywhere. And I just, I missed his coming, right? Christmas came and I was done. I was like, okay, you know, the radio stopped playing Christmas music and I was kind of over it too. And I thought, gosh, you know, the Lord deserves so much more from me. And if I just gestate. And I think of Simeon and Anna, you know, and how they felt at the presentation and, you know, that feeling of Our Lady just sitting and waiting and and gestating, being a mother, you know, knowing that whole process of just so anxious toward the end, waiting for your child and thinking of the shepherds, you know, being in a position to um, be ready to to run at the coming of the Lord, right? And I think that's the opportunity that we have in Advent, and I and I speak to that in December. But I think also throughout the entire calendar year, it is just filled with these different opportunities in which the Lord is beckoning us to just be present in the moment and see the beauty that's in front of us because it's fleeting. And but fortunately, we can have hope that even in that fleeting beauty in that one flower today, there's a different friend, a, f- a different blooming friend that will come to greet us tomorrow. And that's just the beauty and the lesson of the landscape and the beauty and the lesson of the garden. And as that reflects in the the liturgical church as well. And, you know, the Lord arranges things so perfectly that, of course, you know, our time in nature would reflect that in the church and that of our interior lives. And um, so the entire book is just an invitation into those those meditations of what is going on outside and how does that, um, you know, change us on our in, in our spiritual lives. As we wrap up, Emily, do you have a favorite, just a quick maybe Advent or Christmas season hack takeaway for decorating on a budget? Absolutely. I think the most wonderful thing to have in your home is a freshly made Advent wreath. Go outside, take your little kitchen snips, snip away, and just have that simplicity and that beauty. And I don't think the home needs anything else during Advent. And I just think it's absolutely beautiful and simple and, um, you know, really gives that spirit of expectation and longing. And the simplicity, like you said, beautiful. And there is so much depth and richness and, and visual beauty, not only in your book, but I will say too, in your Instagram page as, oh, as well. <laughs> it's like a catalog that just gives you instant inspiration. Is it? Is it the Emily Malloy? Can you spell it out for us to yes, find you? Ma'am. Yes, the Emily Malloy, T-H-E-E-M-I-L-Y-M-A-L-L-O-Y. Okay, well, check it out. I know we can link up to the book and and maybe, Jim, we can put that in the show notes too, along with, of course, the link to the book by Tan Books. And um, it's the latest volume of Theology of the Home, Volume 4, Arranging the Seasons. Thank you so much for your time and just wishing you a blessed Advent and Christmas season. Thank you. Yes, we're here. Thank you so much. Thank you, Emily. God bless you. It's Brooke Taylor in for Timory. Coming up after the break, a primer on the papacy and some riveting stories, profound prayers. It's a brand new book by Father Jeffrey Kirby, and we're going to explore the pages next here on Trending. Stay with us.
We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Here with the Pope's daily meditations from the Vicar of Christ is a brand new book from Father Jeffrey Kirby. Father Kirby is a papal missionary of mercy, also the pastor of Our Lady of Grace Parish in Indian Land, South Carolina, and an adjunct professor of theology at Belmont Abbey College. Delighted now to welcome Father Kirby and get into the pages of this fantastic book. Welcome. Hello, Father Kirby. Thank you, Brooke. It's good to be on the show with you. It's good to talk to you again. And right out of the gate, I want to just throw the studio line out there because this topic is such a good one for, for questions, callers, and, and maybe you heard about a particular pope, a story, a pope that changed your life, or you're unclear about an aspect of the papacy. This is the time to call. Father Kirby is on with us for the rest of the hour. one 914 We do have lines open. And so, Father, I mean, I think the title really kind of gives us a good indication, but there's so much within the pages. Year with the Pope's Daily Meditations from the Vicar of Christ. Tell us about the book. Yeah, so the book is uh, 365 uh, meditations, and and they're not set on the calendar year. So some people have asked, you know, do I have to start on January 1st? Uh, it, there's no calendar designation to it. It's just 365 reflections, so anyone can start whenever they want. So tomorrow, January 1st, January 18th, February 2nd, uh, whenever they would want. And, and basically, the book is designed as a walkthrough from the very beginning, from prophecy about the papacy to the ministry of St. Peter, his relationship with the Lord, the early popes, and then just a walk through the generations, all the different parts of, of church history. And then, of course, a, it's a huge part on John Paul II and then uh, Pope Benedict and Pope Francis. And, and the idea is to, to nurture in each of us a great love and gratitude for this Real, the, the spiritual fatherhood, this office that has been given to us as a gift by the Lord. So, uh, so my hope in that as someone walks through it, they're able through the quotes and the reflections of the different popes, because it's all primary documents. It's, it's all from the popes themselves, all throughout church history. That in that they'll come to a greater love for for the pope, for the Holy Father, for the office of the papacy. Well, first. A big thank you for the setup because you have released pressure from having to follow a rigid plan. You know your flock, Jim said, great, I'm always stuck in the previous month. So it sounds like it really doesn't matter when you begin. You can just pick it up and go. Exactly. And and you know, we're all busy. And, and if someone pick it up, picked up the book and they you know, did one a day and then they miss a few days, well, they can catch up. Or, you know, some people have, have already said, well, you know, I just use during my holy hour every week, and I just do seven days during the holy hour. That's fine. The, the book is meant to be as flexible as our lives are. It's just to show the beauty of the papacy, the, the teachings of the Holy Fathers. Uh, you know, we have, have had some powerful saints and spiritual masters as popes, and, and just to show and highlight that aspect of this great office given to us by the Lord. Yeah, I, I mean, this work is unlike anything I've actually ever seen before. It's it's so fantastic, and I know you say that the history of the papacy is, is the history of our family, and when you look at the totality of the, that family line, like any family, there may be some eyebrow-raising moments, but, but also, <laughs> yes. you know, in that too, there are some profound examples of virtue and holy heroism, so how did you look at what to select. I mean, just the the corpus of history there. How did you cherry pick what you were going to put for those 365 days? 
Yes. So I have to tell you, um, the, the original proposal of the book, uh, in full disclosure was, um, a year with John Paul II. That's, that's why I had originally proposed uh, to Tam books and, and in discussions with the publisher, they said, how about we, we broaden it and, you know, 365 days with, with all the popes. And as I thought about it, I, I, I came also to the conclusion yeah, that, that that's, you know, that, that could be a more helpful way and, and certainly a broader way to, to introduce, you know, John Paul II, but he, you know, all the men who have been our, our, our various Holy Fathers through church history. And so once that was broadened, and, and, and Brooke, this is about two years of research. Um, I believe it. And, yeah, it, 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 and sometimes it was hard because I, I knew what I wanted, but then trying to find the original source. Right? Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, how, how do I get this? Um, but but basically, I just went through and I said, I, I want to start, once it was broadened, I said, I, I want to start with a strong biblical basis. So a little bit of the prophecies that tell us about the key bearer, you know, this, this, this office that is to come, and then heavy with the relationship between Peter and, and the Lord Jesus. And you know, this showed that, showing that the, the, the papacy is, is biblical, it's born from, you know, the Lord's relationship with his church, the Lord's relationship with the first chief apostle, and, and really stressing that and highlighting that, and then into Acts of the Apostles, and then the two letters of St. Peter, showing that very early on, um, you know, Peter understood, and, and the early community of believers understood, you know, who he was, and you know, in terms of his authority as chief apostle, and, and you know, the authority that had been given to him. I mean, you look at the Acts of the Apostles, and we're told that the early Christians would line the streets with the hope that the shadow of St. Peter would fall upon them, because even his shadow had the power to heal. I mean, that, that's, that's an immense spiritual power, yeah. right? You know, and, um, and when we show the love we have for the Holy Father today, and people are like, oh, what does this have to do with the Bible? Well, look at the Acts of the Apostles. <laughs> it's, it's right there. And, and so I just wanted to show that. And then, of course, his, uh, St. Peter's letter showing, you know, from the very beginning that he, you know, was, was teaching the faith, exercising um, the authority given to him by the, by, by the, by the Lord, and that's that's why I wanted to start there. And then after that, uh, to, to your question, walking through church history, it was, you know, what are some pertinent issues, um, you know, things that maybe we've never heard of, like the church's constant denunciation of, of the slave trade and, you know, the church's, you know, response to the discovery of the new world. And so just major events in human history that we've never heard the Pope's voice in these matters. And, and I wanted to really kind of highlight that to help us to be aware that, yeah, the Pope has something to say. And oftentimes that opinion is what shaped the event. For example, the line of demarcation in the new world, that was a line that was drawn by the Pope in order to prevent a war between Spain and Portugal. So by that decision, the Pope actually prevented a world war. And so just understanding that, and then also highlighting some of the spiritual teachings of, of the popes. So a lot of teaching on Our Lady, a lot of teaching on fasting, on the, the, the call to, to uh, the penitential life. Uh, one in particular uh, was, you know, the call of Pope Pius V for all Christians to pray the rosary. And of course, that call happened because of the Battle of Lepanto, right. which was a 
major naval battle between Christian and Muslim forces that, you know, if, if the Christians had lost, the faith would have been lost in Europe. The, the Christian faith would have been lost. And so, you know, the Holy Father turns and gives this beautiful catechesis on Our Lady and highlights the power of the rosary and, and convenes and summons all of Christendom, all Christian believers, to pray the rosary. So things like that, just walking through and saying, okay, what, what resonates, what, what could be helpful, you know, in terms of, of history, in terms of spirituality, and then wanting to really conclude heavy with some Vatican II popes, so John XXIII, Paul VI, clarifying some things about Vatican II through mm-hmm. that, and then, of course, no surprise, heavy on John Paul II. Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> You know, I mean, one of the greatest popes to ever live, uh, the second longest serving pope in the history of the church. Um, so not simply is it because of reasons of affection, but I certainly consider myself a John Paul II priest, but also for reasons of church history and his influence. You know, Pope Benedict XVI said that John Paul II was the interpreter of the Second Vatican Council. So if we want to know what Vatican II taught we can look to the teachings of John Paul II. So things like that. I just, you know, choosing, selecting, discerning, and, and Brooke, you'll appreciate this. When I was all done with the first round of research, <laughs> I had over a thousand quotes. Can you imagine going from a thousand to 365? I can't, you know what, I'm was, picturing you, I, I, this might not be, I know this is maybe not right, but I'm picturing you in a cave like St. Jerome with a candle <laughs> and long hair <laughs> working on this for two years. That's yeah. remarkable. I it mean, felt because, like that. Let me tell you, it felt like that. You can imagine just the rounds of, okay, I'll take these out. All right, I'll take these quotes out. Oh, no, no, I'm bringing these ones back. Let me take these out. And and exactly, it, it was it was a labor of love. Okay, so you start out with the structure giving us a great foundation, which is history, apologetics, uh, a, a bit of hagiography, all of that, as you mentioned, as you begin the life and ministry of St. Peter, and then St. Peter's early successors, and then taking us into church history, and then, as you said, the the doctrinal clarifications and teachings, but also these remarkable stories, and yes, we know that there are some um, zingers in there and pages that we might want to leave in obscurity, but there are also some people and popes who ought not to be forgotten, and that's what I think is so beautiful about you reviving these stories, where you say in the early church it was considered a death sentence to be elected the Bishop of Rome, and that, is this the correct number, the first 33, that's significant number, the first 33 popes all died as martyrs? That's correct, exactly. The the, the first pope to not die a martyr was Pope uh, St. Sylvester, who was the first pope under the Edict of Toleration in so either okay. Edict of Toleration was 313. He is Pope about that time. His predecessor was alive and uh, basically died because of wounds and um, fatigue caused by abuse. Uh, so we consider him a martyr uh, because he died from those wounds and those beatings. So yes, the first 33. And imagine the men who were elected, and they did it. And they accepted it because they understood it was a call of the Holy Spirit. It was a way to serve the Lord. And so they accepted the office of chief apostle. You know, the, the title Pope, we didn't start using that until about the fourth century. Pope, pope is just, it's a Greek word, it means father. So early on, the references were more to chief apostle or to shepherd, things, various other titles that were used to, to designate, um, you know, the successor of St. Peter. But yeah, the, yes, the, the successors of, of Peter 
up until Pope St. Sylvester, understood that being elected Pope meant that you were being elected, chosen by God, to die a martyr for the faith. Wow. And then also the the greatness in in the the physical laying down their life but also also the intellectual and spiritual through the history of the papacy we have is it four that have been given the title great that's right exactly so of course most people are familiar with leo and gregory and some may not be as familiar that pope martin was given the title great Uh, he was the one who brought the papacy back to rome after the avignon papacy when the popes were in southern France for a few generations. And then, of course, John Paul II, by popular acclamation, is called great. And, and let me clarify, too, Brooke, the title great is not a decree of the church. There's not a, a formal decree. The title of the great is given by the people of God. So, mm-hmm. so the people hailed Leo the great because he saved Rome from Attila the Hun. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and Gregory was hailed as the great because... He was so beloved. I mean, Pope Gregory said, if one poor man dies of hunger in Rome, my soul is in jeopardy because that one is mine. I am his bishop. I am his shepherd. So he was very active, hands-on in Rome, and very beloved by the Roman people. So when he died, he was hailed as the great. And so only the, the St. Michael, Michael prayer as well, too, right? Yeah, that's actually Pope Leo Thirteenth, exactly oh. so. Yep, exactly. Yep, yep. So, but I'll tell you this, Pope Leo XIII <laughs> took his name in honor of Pope Leo the Great. Okay. Because That's Pope right. Leo the Great saved Rome from Attila the Hun. Yeah. Pope Leo XIII, he, you know, the Vatican at that point had been taken over by revolutionaries, the city of Rome, Italy, and Leo, Pope Leo XIII, took the name, and actually this is actually one of the quotes I put in the book, because he saw himself as fighting the barbarians, in the 19th century. <laughs> so, wow. so these modernists yep. and these revolutionaries, he yep. is uh, you know, associating with the barbarians. Well, and I want to, speaking of the things that you did put in the book, I wanted to just grab one sample just to give an example of the meatiness within this, because again, it's a devotional, but there's so much more that we learn just in one given excerpt. I just grabbed one. This is day 195. Seething with the same madness is the title, and it reads, Evil feeds on itself. Darkness begets darkness. As the accounts of the French Revolution began to spread, Pope Pius VII was horrified. He had been a monk since his early years and was a man of great learning and a mystic of abundant supernatural gifts. He was known to heal the sick, exercise evil spirits, and levitate. At a time when rationalistic thought was attempting to undermine the church, the successor of St. Peter was a miracle man whose life was marked by signs and wonders. Such divine actions were needed as the savage conduct of the French revolutionaries continued its merciless attack against Christian believers. So then you go on to talk about in his teachings, Pope Pius VII denounced the madness that had taken the hearts of so many and sharing an encyclical from 1800 that Pope Pius VII wrote. And from that, then, you give us a meditation and a closing prayer. Um, any thoughts on that? I mean, these are things that perhaps we we should know or have heard, but we can't necessarily recollect top of mind that I think is so beautiful to have in a library like this, 365 days that we can reference. Yes, very much. And, and I'll tell you, Brooke, I think a lot of people in reading, say, for example, just that particular selection, can certainly resonate. 
when we look right. at our world today and we and we see violence and you know cruelty and you know, a complete just dismissal of any sense of moral right and wrong and and we can oftentimes just you know ourselves scratch our head and and, and and you know be bewildered like how is this possible what what is going on and 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 that's exactly what Pius the seventh is expressing especially in that particular selection where he's saying and of course this is as Christendom, if we can imagine there was a time when the West was united in faith and moral understanding, that it begins to implode. And Pius VII is expressing, like, what is happening? What is going on? And he is just preaching and calling people back to the gospel. He's calling them back to, to moral goodness. He's calling them back to just just civility. And, and he's expressing this, and of course, the Holy Spirit would give us one of our most powerful saints. I mean, he really was like a Pache Pio. I was reading the accounts and thinking, why have I not heard all this? Yes. <laughs> Pretty awesome. Right? I you mean, know, what a, and, what a and wonderful job for you to be, I mean, you know, very laborious, but beautiful to be able to go back over these stories and these holy men. Yes. very much. Oh, it was, it was definitely a source of, of renewal and um, encouragement and, 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 um, you know, spiritual conversion, and and yeah, I've shared this uh, before. Um, when I started working on the book, uh, this is um, Year of the Popes. I, um, my father was towards the end of a very uh, long illness, and during that this time, uh, my father passed away, and um, and I reached out to Tan and I said, you know, um, I, I just don't know if I have the energy to, to continue this project. And, you know, so I think I'm, I might have to bow out. We, we might need to find someone else to, to, to finish and, and, and bring this to fruition. And they were so good. They were like, no, 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 father, whatever time you need, whatever time, if, 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 if it's a couple of years, it doesn't matter. We really want you to finish this book. <laughs> and, and if you believe the book, I approached him a second time later and said, yeah, I really want to be fair to you. And, I just don't know. And they're like, again, they're like, Father, we don't care. However long it takes, this is your book. We love what you're doing, and we want this book. And, and, and the reason why it was hard for me is because this book screams spiritual fatherhood. You know, like mm -hmm. the, the scriptures tell us what do good fathers do? They protect, provide, and teach. And that's what I was focusing on, showing the papacy, our spiritual father, how the popes through the ages have, you know, provided and protected and taught. And I had a great father, uh, several great father who's, you know, um, you know, with me uh, from eternity. And um, and as I'm doing this work on the papacy, it, it's just hitting my heart left and right, you know. And I said, I just don't know if I can I can keep you know doing this. And honestly, it was the patience of, of Tan Books, and it was, uh, I think, the Holy Spirit that I continued to work. And what was originally a source of pain became a source of healing and immense creativity. You know, oftentimes people will say, you know, a person's best work is when they have a broken heart or they're going through a crisis or something. Well, um, I think grieving is a part of that. And I brought all that grieving into this work and wanted my suffering and, and my grieving to bear a good fruit, to give testimony to fatherhood. And so, you know, this book really, unlike 
I mean, every book has a piece of me, but this book is unique in that it, it took that brokenness from grieving and, and became a part of this book. And, and people already who have looked at parts of it or, you know, have reached out and, and very kindly have said, you know, there's just, there's just something that grabs me mm-hmm. about this book. <laughs> I just have to laugh. I was like, well, that's called a broken heart. And I thank you for sharing that because that is a very transparent, it, it almost is as if, you know, this is the Gethsemane moment, I mean, just in the way that you were picturing that and, and let this chalice pass for me. This is not, um, I can't do this. I don't want to do this, but yet your faithfulness and through and in that, the way that our Lord pulled you to him and all of these shepherds that came before you, these holy fathers, and also then the way that you are shepherding those who read the pages for generations. So that's a really beautiful story, Father, about your own fidelity and the beauty that comes always in in redemption, resurrection, and renewal, which I think we really need to find again in the beauty of uh, the papacy and all of the graces that flow. And I want to get into that on the other side of the break. We're up against a heartbreak now. Father Jeffrey Kirby is here. We're talking about his new book, Year with the Popes, Daily Meditations from the Vicar of Christ. Studio line is open, one 914 9149 It's Brooke Taylor here in for Timory, and more to come after the break. We will be right back here on Trending on Relevant Radio and the app. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Wow, we have been receiving remarkable instruction as we go back through time, back over the centuries to the history of the papacy, up through today, right now, and just such rich history, the story of our family, essentially. It's part of a new book called Year with the Popes, Daily Meditations from the Vicar of Christ. Welcome back to Trending. It's Brooke Taylor in for Timory. Just... 10 minutes less than that now away from the rosary across America with Father Rocky. And pleased to be here with you. Father Jeffrey Kirby is the author of that new book we've been talking about. Also a moral theologian, papal missionary of mercy, pastor of Our Lady of Grace Parish, and also an adjunct professor of theology at Belmont Abbey College and the author of several books. But as we were hearing this one, so personally connected, the call, the story, uh, Father Kirby losing your dad, also being being shepherd in some ways, counseled, uh, drawn closer to the heart of Christ through the men that you were studying. And one thing that I wanted to bring up is, you know, from the beginning, people have found fault with various popes back through time, up through today, whether it was warranted or unwarranted, there have been controversies. And we have had some bad popes over the centuries. I think we can all agree on that. But what was your takeaway from the research as it relates to obedience and attitudes of the faithful when it comes to kind of these different controversies? Yeah, so a few things. Uh, first, what's very interesting is, you know, in terms of the number of bad popes, so if you imagine we've had uh, 266 popes, and in terms of, of, of bad popes, you know, um, they're really under 10, so less than 10. So um, so just, first of all, just to put that in, in, in perspective. Yeah. And then in terms of the ones that, that were bad popes, and, and I address that in the book, I document things where, you know, um, popes were, you know, 
hosting, you know, vile things or engaging in murder and various things of that sort. And I put that in there and I address it as, you know, popes uh, hold a sacred office given to us by the Lord Jesus. They themselves are still works in progress. I mean, even in the beginning of the, of, of the year with, with the popes, I, I put in there this selection from Galatians where Paul tells us, St. Paul says he has to correct St. Peter because St. Peter's being you know, you know, falling into hypocrisy. And so here, even the first Pope is being corrected, you know, in the early church uh, by uh, one of his co-apostles. And so I show that these bad Popes that, you know, they, yeah, they, their works in progress, the, the, the authority of the papacy was not weakened um, by that. I also point out that <laughs> at the times when we had our worst Popes is when we had our greatest saints. Mm-hmm. So the Holy Spirit is guiding the church. So we can look and say, wow, this time period had a lot of great saints. Look at the line of popes, and it's probably <laughs> during the time of some of our worst popes. i also say this, that uh, St. Thomas More uh, lived at a time of some of our worst popes, and he knew that. He was the Chancellor of England. He would have known uh, through the interaction of diplomacy the status of the pope's own moral life, and yet that was still the office that he chose to die for. So just this example, this one saint, Thomas More, who died in defense of the papacy, even though he knew at the time that the men who were holding that office, the two popes under his time as chancellor, were not men of good reputation. And I point out that as an example of, if we live in a time of a bad pope or a lukewarm pope, or just a pope that we don't like, or, or we're questioning or wondering, like, what are these decisions? What's going on? that that never justifies the faithful to rebel against the Pope, but rather to respond to holiness, with holiness. Right. So why is it that during times of bad posts you had the greatest saints? Because those men and women realized, okay, we need to give more. St. Paul tells us that we need to make up what is lacking in the body of Christ. And so at times when there is a bad Pope or a lukewarm Pope, then we are called to greater holiness, to greater love, to greater devotion, some of those people will say, well, you know, for example, with our current Holy Father, I, I don't like Pope Francis, Pope Francis, so I'm not going to pray for him. It's like, what? <laughs> Where do you see that in the Gospels? No, no. If you struggle to understand him or you don't like him, or sometimes his pastoral decisions have us all kind of confused, if that's the case, then our response as Christians is to pray more for him, to sacrifice for him, to offer fasting for him, that we respond in difficult times with greater holiness. So that's definitely spelled out in the book in, in multiple different ways during the different times of, of you know, the popes that were not the greatest. Beautiful. And there's so much to that, as you say, 266 and less than 10 with over the two years of research and examination that you've done that you could say, okay, this would be categorically in, you know, the bad position here, that it just tells you the sensationalism of those that might be hostile to the faith, where you feel like there were so many, perhaps, you know, depending on what you've watched, seen, or heard, but the beauty of what you lay out over this 365-day canon, this corpus of writing of devotions is absolutely brilliant, a treasury, I think, for generations. And on that note, I want to mention that. We'll have it linked up in the show page. Again, it's brand new. It's called Year with the Pope's Daily Meditations from the Vicar of Christ by Father Jeffrey Kirby. As we wrap up, Father, would you give us your blessing? Absolutely. Let us pray. 
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he let his face shine upon you. May he grant you his peace. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And I guess, parting words, you you dedicate this entire book to Pope St. John Paul II. You say the author is particularly indebted to him for his priestly witness. Maybe any final words about that and why your heart is so connected to uh, John Paul II, our Holy Father, uh, Lolek, in that regard. Yes, I would just say, because my heart goes to John Paul II because he was a man who constantly preached and lived Jesus Christ. His whole life was an oblation, an outpouring of his love for the Lord. And both as a Christian and as a priest, I could think of no one better to dedicate this book to. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Well, you can find it. It's available and out now via TAN Books. That's Is that right? Yes, ma'am. Yep, TAN Books. Thank you. God bless you, Father Kirby, and your Advent and Christmas season. We wish you many graces for the upcoming season in the new liturgical year. Thank you, Brooke. Take care. You too. And we will link both Father Kirby's book and Theology of the Home, Volume 4, on the trending show page. If you missed my earlier guest... Emily Malloy joined me to talk about the power of beauty, especially as it relates to the liturgical year and the domestic church, our homes, as we prepare for Advent. And the very first candle that we light in this Advent wreath is the candle of hope. And hope is the virtue that tells us that something better is coming. Sometimes it's called the prophecy candle. And we think about the prophets. We think about the book of Isaiah and the long-expected Jesus. And in a time Time where there is so much anxiety rampant and people are in that fight or flight mode all the time. It's such a wonderful opportunity to stop and say, pause and collect ourselves. Do I believe that something better is coming? And that, of course, is the virtue of hope. So may we all just cling to that as we begin and then therefore let our Lord work on our heart as we approach the days to come for the Advent season. The Rosary Across America with Father Rocky is next. Today is Tuesday, so that is The Sorrowful Mysteries. And again, the book with Father Jeffrey Kirby is called A Year with the Popes. And just a concluding note on the rosary, this was written by Pope St. Pius V and how relevant it is today. He says, following the example of our predecessors, seeing that the church militant, which God has placed in our hands in these our times, is tossed this way and that by so many things and is grievously troubled and afflicted by so many wars and the depraved morals of men, we also raise our eyes, weeping but full of hope, onto that same mountain whence every aid comes forth and we give our prayers to our Lord and our Lady. God bless you. And that is Pope St. Pius V. God bless you, St. John Paul II. Pray for us. It's Brooke Taylor in for Timory. God bless you. Until next time.